Well, good evening again. It was great to be with you last night, and uh, I just really enjoyed getting to know you all, and uh, I'm thankful that, Pastor Brian, you invited me to come and, and, and preach uh, during this revival season. Uh, as we said last night, revival is a great time, isn't it? You know, it's a set-apart time where we come together and look to God and ask Him to minister to us and to restore us. All of us need restoring. Don't you, don't you agree? All of us do. And, uh, and even if we're having a, a great year, <laughs> we still need to grow in our relationship with Christ our sense of his love for us. Uh, the Apostle Paul, for example, in Ephesians 3, he prayed for the Ephesians. He prayed that they would grow in understanding the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love of Christ. And so it is something that we really need the Holy Spirit to teach us. Well, tonight, uh, Brother Doug, you and your, your uh, posse? <laughs> <laughs> You're here, whosoever's. <laughs> Thank you so much for what you did and how you sang. But you talked a lot about going home, the joy that we're going to have on that end. We also talked a lot about when we got saved. And think back on that day. That was a sweet day, wasn't it? In your life, in my life, when Christ came in and by faith, I was, I was united to him and washed whiter than snow, cleansed. So past, future, how about now? Tonight we're going to look at how do we live now in 2023? How do we glorify God and enjoy him forever? Uh, years ago, in the 1600s, Children were taught this. They were taught to answer a question in a certain way. And the question was this. What is the chief aim of man? What is the chief purpose of life, you could say? What is the chief aim of man? And the little children buzzing around would say, the chief aim of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's right. We have the honor of knowing the living and true God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have the honor of glorifying him day in and day out, living for his glory. We fall short, we fail, we stumble, all of that. But nonetheless, he keeps us, and he carries us, and we have a grand purpose in life. And one more thing I want to say before we turn to Matthew 5, which is where we'll be. You know, uh, some of you here tonight are little children. And um, I want to tell you about a little boy who lived long ago. And when he was eight years old, he became king. King. He was king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and his name was Josiah. Now imagine, you who are young, if you were king of a whole nation. How would you feel? But at the age of, of 16, so eight years into his reign, the Bible tells us that Josiah began to seek the Lord. Isn't that great? So you're never too young to seek God. 
and to come to know him and to walk with him. And so I want to encourage you who are young to pursue Christ and tonight, by God's grace, to hear him speaking to you the promise of grace. And then when Josiah was 20 years old, he was, he was distraught over the things that were going on in his world. And he began to destroy the idols and to purify the land so that they would be faithful to worship Jehovah, to worship God um, according to his word. And so you're never too young to come to know Christ. You're never too young to be used by God. And I might add, you're never too old. It's not too late. Some of us may look back on our life and think, I've wasted so many years. Right? That could happen. But it's never too late on this side of heaven or this side of eternity. It's not too late for you to turn to the Lord and to find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Okay, well, let's go on to um, Matthew chapter 5. We've been looking at the Beatitudes. Last night we looked at the first one, and we noticed that these are the words of our, our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. <laughs> And as, as you alluded to, John chapter 1, verse 14, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God took on flesh, became flesh, fully man, fully God. And he is the one who spoke this day on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the most powerful thing. And so as we hear it tonight, read to us, and as we hear it <laughs> proclaimed, let us humbly receive the word that has been given and let us respond to it as we should. Okay, so I'm starting at verse 3 and tonight we're just going to go to verse 7. I'm sorry, to verse 6. 3 through 6 and then God willing, tomorrow morning at, at our worship, Sunday worship, we'll finish by going through 7, 8, 9, and 10. Last night we covered verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And real quickly, to review, we mentioned that poor in spirit are those who have nothing to give to a holy God. Nothing. Except for the cross. And except for the promise of salvation. In those, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And they are blessed as a result. Okay, verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. These are precious, precious verses that extend to us a call of how we are to live and they humble us, as we'll see in a moment. They always will humble us until we go to heaven because they show us our deficiencies. Christ alone has kept these things. Christ alone. And while as Christians we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we begin to live a godly life, yes, we fall so far short. And so... As we listen to this, uh, let's remember the mercy and grace of God in which we stand. Okay, verse 4. 
Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What is the mourning that is speaking of, that, that Christ is speaking of here? What is it? You know, in December of 2020, my father passed away. And it was a heartache. And then, less than a year ago, September 22nd of 2022, my mother passed away. And so, at this point, I'm an orphan, I guess you could say. It broke my heart, and it still breaks my heart. I grieved. But as serious and as heartbreaking as that is, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He cares about that. He's with me in my grief. But this is a different kind of mourning. What is it? It is to mourn over sin. It is to mourn over sin. That is a beautiful trait. And when God sees somebody truly mourning over their own sin or the sins around in our world, that is a precious thing in God's sight. It is a gift. The word mourn there is a strong word. It's not just, oh, gee, I'm sorry the mountaineers lost. You know, it's not that. But it is a, almost a violent grief, a strong word of sorrow over sin. Not necessarily over getting caught in our sin, right? It's something deeper. It's that you see sin the way God sees sin. And it breaks your heart. You see your own personal sin that way. But then you see what's going on around you. And you mourn deeply over sin. I remember I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. And um, about two years after I became a Christian, I went home one day to my mom and dad's house, and I found my old high school yearbooks. And I thought, well, I'll just look through those and just kind of look and see, you know, remember my friends. And as I opened it up, I don't know if in your time they did this, but in our day, you would write in the back of your friends' yearbooks. Did you all do that? Well... My yearbooks were full of my friends writing. And what they had written was the most abominable filth. And I never saw it. I never saw it until I became a Christian. And I sat there and I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed. Not because of so much what they were saying, but because what I was reading was a reflection of who I was, the sins that I had committed, that the attitude that I had had. And I just couldn't stop crying. I closed those yearbooks and I threw them away, and they're gone. I couldn't stand it. But to mourn over sin is to, to be deeply in grief over things that we have done in our life. Jesus says, blessed are you when you mourn. Why would he say that? For they shall be comforted, is the answer. Why 
is such a person comforted? I mean, when you grieve, <laughs> how can you be comforted at the same time? But you are. Because you experience the presence of Jesus Christ in the midst of that. And you experience his kindness and his care and his comfort. And so blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. All right, let's move on to the next one. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I wonder if you've ever thought about what that word meek means. Now, some people say it means there used to be an old character called Casper Milktoast. Has anybody heard of that name? Okay. I'm the old one here. All right. But he was this kind of um, flaky guy. And he would just kind of creep around. And in Charles Dickens' show, uh, book, I can't remember which one, there was a guy named Uriah Heep. Have you heard that name? Uriah Heep was just like, oh, I'm just a nobody. I'm just a, you know, I'm just nobody at all. And, and oh, let me grab your bags. After all, I'm just a nobody. <laughs> and people mistake that for being humble and for meekness. That is not at all what meekness is. On the contrary, the word meek here means strength or power under control. Power under control. Where you have the power to crush somebody, but you don't do it. I'm sure some of you have, have horses or have ridden horses. Have any of you ever ridden a wild horse? Raise your hand. One that's out of control. Have you? I have. Can I tell you about it? I was down in, in the country of Colombia in South America. And I was down there on a summer missions. And there was this horse out in the corral. And the Colombians were sitting around. And they said, Senor Carlos, Senor Carlos, why don't you ride that horse? And I wanted to ride it. I thought, you don't mind if I ride it? And they go, no, we don't mind. And I said, well, sure. And they go, now it's kind of fast. Fast is not the right word. And I said, well, that's all right. I, you know, I can handle it. I get on this horse. And it took off like lightning. And not only did it take off like lightning, but it was running straight to the fence, running parallel to the fence all along the way, trying to, trying to crush my leg and trying to brush me off so that I would fall off the horse. And I was just hanging on for dear life like this. And I had my legs clamped around that horse as best I could. Well, I survived it. I survived it. But I had strawberries. Do you all know what strawberries are? wounds that ooze. I had strawberries on my calves for two or three months because the horse was not meek. <laughs> but on the contrary, I've ridden other horses, and you have too maybe, that are as meek as can be. They're broken, and they're serviceable. All you have to do is take the reins and go like this. And they go the way you want it to go. 
and it's almost a work of art when a horse is like that. It is, a, it is serviceable. It's not the fight and the vinegar is out of it. That is what meekness is. And when we are forgiven by Almighty God through the merits of Christ, not our works, but Christ, he begins to produce in us a meekness where we restrain ourselves from hurting others when we could. An example of this is years ago, I was a student at Moody Bible Institute. Brian, is, last night he mentioned Dwight L. Moody and Iris Sankey, I think. And um, I was a student at Moody, and while you're there, you are, you are assigned minister, uh, what's the word? Ministry assignments, okay? So you go out into Chicago and you minister. Well, one of my favorite uh, assignments was at the Cook County Jail in Chicago, and it was just full of these uh, really uh, hard criminals. I loved it. It was a great privilege to be there and to have Bible study with these men. But one of the men was a guy, and I can't say his name, even though it happened in 1987, <laughs> they said, never tell anybody the names of people here, so I'm going to make up a name, okay? His name was Henry. All right. He had a real name that was different. But anyway, Henry, Henry was a man's man. This guy was the biggest guy that, that I saw in that whole prison. He was, just, he was just a hulk. He was huge. But he had the heart of a child. He had become a Christian. And Henry was one of the sweetest people I've ever known. And he would come up to you and just be so kind to you, so gracious. Henry had the strength to crush me like a fly, but he didn't. Well, I heard one day about these other prisoners who got in Henry's face, these little two-by-squirts. <laughs> God, it got into Henry's face like this, this far away, and they were just reaming him out and ridiculing him and cursing him for being a Christian. What do you think old Henry did? What could he have done? He could have squished him like a fly. But old Henry did nothing. He just stood there. Meekness. That is meekness. And that comes as, a, as a, a fruit, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. It is something only God can produce in us. Do you agree? I mean, have you ever tried to be meek? You may do the right thing on the outside, but inside you are a volcano. True meekness, there is no volcano inside of you. This is something that God is looking for, is a genuine meekness. When people harm you, blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the earth. Now, you and I both have known godly men and women 
who, who have gone to their grave not owning very much, right? There's all kinds of Christians who walk with God who are poor as can be. And you think, well, do they inherit the earth? Well, Jesus says, yes. How do they inherit the earth? Well, there's different views on this. One is, and this goes back to what you said, the, the premillennial view of the end times. There is one view that when we die, we are going to be co-reign, co-heirs, co-reign, co co-regents, I guess. Uh, we will help to reign and rule the earth. And so we will be ruling over the earth. That's one view. But also, even in this life, there are times where Christians are given wealth. Do you remember when Jesus said, there are some who, who give up mother and father and houses and lands? Do you remember this? They will receive in the life to come and in this life, mothers and fathers and houses and lands. That often, often, when we don't even know it's coming, God gives us what we give up. And so there's that kind of inheritance. But I think where we most all of us live would be in this third kind of inheritance of the earth, and that is being content with what God has given us. Being content with what God has given us. Years ago, uh, Lisa and I have, or I had a friend and I shared a story with Lisa he was a missionary. He had spent his whole life in service as a missionary in the country of Papua New Guinea. And it came time for him to retire, and we were getting his newsletters. And he, <clears throat> one day he said, we're so excited. God has given us a house to live in in our retirement years. And, uh, and we just cannot be happier with what God has given and then I saw a picture of the house, and I couldn't believe it. It was, it was nothing at all. But he was thrilled at what the provision of God for his life. He, he had received everything from Christ. And so, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then finally tonight, verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Again, these words are strong words. The word hunger is a strong word. The word thirst is a very strong word. It's, again, it's almost a violence. Can you think of a time in your life when you've been so hungry you, you thought you were going to die? I have one more funny story to tell you. And, and by the way, I, I didn't plan on being funny tonight <laughs> or, or thinking I'm funny or whatever. <laughs> but years ago, um, I went backpacking in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And... Um, you may think I'm not very big now, but back then I weighed about 80 pounds less than I do now. I was a string bean. And I had a 40-pound backpack on my, on my back. And I was going down, down, down into the Blue Ridge Mountains. 
And the next day, or two days later, we had to come up, and we were in a, we had to hurry. And my friend Daniel, who was with me, he said, Chuck, you got to hurry up, because we're, we're on a schedule here, and we got to get going. And so I said, you got it, man. And so I took off running up the trail as best I could. Next thing you know, I was just fizzling out. And I was, I was just breathing so hard. Again, it was just a violent thing. He kept saying, get going. You can't stop. Get going. Finally, I got to the top, to the parking lot, and all I could do, like a beached whale, all I could do was just fall back on my backpack like that. And I was just breathing so loud and, and violent. And he goes, are you okay? And I, I couldn't even answer him. I just went, uh, <gasps> <gasps> like that. And uh, he goes, do you need some water? Do you need some drink? Do you need some food? I thought, yes, I do, but I can't answer you. <laughs> so he came over to me. He came over with a piece of Wonder Bread. Do you all know Wonder Bread? It's just the cheapest bread you can get. And he, he stuffed it in my mouth. And I started eating it, and nourishment came. And something else happened. I, I'm not kidding you. I thought, this is better than a steak. This Wonder Bread is unbelievable. I didn't know it could be so good. You see, I was hungry. Are you hungry? What are you hungry for? You are hungry. You're thirsty for something. What is it? You know, in this world, there are two lines. I like to put it this way. There are the lines at Disney World, right? I have people I know who spend half a year planning and plotting and scheming. How can I get into the front of the line the best way while at Disney World? And Lisa's sister, uh, they go to Disney World and... Uh, Lisa's mother is Thelma Thomas, right? Goes to Pastor Allen's church. And uh, they always say, Thelma, why don't you go to Disney World with us? Why do they ask that? Well, they ask it for two reasons. One, they, they love her and they want to be with her. But there's sort of a fringe reason. They say, Thelma, if you go, you can sit in a wheelchair. And people and parties that have somebody in a wheelchair... They get to go straight to the front of the line. <laughs> so there's Thelma Thomas, just sitting like this, being pushed through Disney World. The front of the line, it's a win-win. It's a great thing. But the point is, the lines at Disney World are very, very long, aren't they? You know, there's another line in the world where there's almost nobody in that line. There's no throwing of elbows. There's no competition. That line is for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus says, you will be filled. There are two kinds of righteousness that the Bible speaks of. And we are to hunger and thirst for both of these. And listen carefully, please. 
because the first kind we may not be that familiar with. Most Christians in America are not that familiar with the first kind. The first kind of righteousness is where Jesus Christ credits you with his perfect righteousness. And so you stand before Almighty God with no condemnation because Christ is your righteousness. Do you remember that old song, uh, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less but Jesus' Blood and Righteousness? Right? But do you hear what I just said? My hope is built on nothing else or nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And the song ends by talking about being dressed in Christ's righteousness alone. See? There's a big $10 word for this. It's called imputation. Imputation. How many of you all have heard that word imputation? Oh, great. It's where Christ credits you. He, he and God imputes to you. He gives to you the righteousness of Christ so that you really do stand complete before Almighty God. So, and even as Christians, we hunger and thirst for that. It's our lifeline. When you have a bad day spiritually and you wonder, God, can you, can you still love me? The answer is, I do still love you. And Christ is your righteousness, Chuck Fry. And so we hunger and thirst for that. Secondly, we hunger and thirst for godliness, for godliness, that these Beatitudes, for example, would be characteristic of our life. We want that, and we thirst for that. We long for that. That is a beautiful attribute in a Christian. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so... Tonight, I just want to ask you, as we went through these things, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How, how do you measure up to those? Whatever deficiency you feel yourself to have, know that you can confess that to God Almighty. And he loves you in the midst of it. God doesn't, God's not like the world where he goes around looking for the lovable people. Rather, he goes around and looks for the sinner. He looks for the weak. He looks for the wounded. And he draws near to them when they draw near to God in confession of sin. And so, in the end... Jesus, once again, is our only boast. We do not glory in our life at all, in our righteousness, um, because that is folly to do that. One final story. Years ago, I was, um, I was working on a farm with my friend, and we were out. He said, Chuck, go help me clean the barn now. And I said, sure thing. So we were kind of hanging around the barn, and... <clears throat> I was standing up on a little hill, and I was looking down on my friend as we were talking. 
Okay, so I'm like this, he's like this. And imagine, imagine if I thought I'm better than you because I'm higher up than you. That's, that's crazy, right? You don't do that. But it's doubly bad when the little hill I was standing on was dried horse manure. And so, but when we boast in our own righteousness and look down on other people, it is as though we are standing on the manure, and I'm sorry to use these words, but the manure of our own supposed righteousness. We have nothing to boast about except for Jesus Christ and the cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank you um, for the blood of Christ, the blood of the everlasting covenant. And Jesus, we worship you and praise you and thank you that long ago you died once for all of our sins. And no matter how we find ourselves to be, no matter what we've done, Christ, you're our righteousness, and we rest in that, and we come to you tonight afresh. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would, we would sense your love and your presence. Um, please do a great thing, and let this weekend be something we never forget, because you will have met with us and comforted us and restored us given us heart and vision for how to live. And so we cry out to you to do this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.